either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? <laughs> you waste all our film. It's so bad. Boy, not a whole lot going on this week at the movies. I really don't know <laughs> what we're going to talk about, but we'll find something. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And of course, we're just being funny. We're trying to be. It's a monster week, and it starts with what else? Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. It's too dangerous, Finn. I need to go alone. We're all in this till the end. We've got friends out there. Good people will fight if we lead them. They've taken enough of us. Now we take the war to them. Let the final battle begin. Well, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of chatter going on about this movie. And a lot of business, too, because I know we drove past our local theater, and man, last night... I don't know if I have ever seen the parking lot more full. Right. It was insane. But uh, that's good, and uh, I don't doubt it. But, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of very um, polarizing opinions about this movie. And I just, I don't know why I thought I could figure out the audience here, but I can't. I was surprised last time because we really liked uh, The Last Jedi. Yes, very much. Was surprised about that fanboy reaction. Um but I, I think, because I mean, let's just, we both liked this movie. We did. We both thought it was a very satisfying way to wrap up the saga. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing, I, I'm not surprised that the overall scores from critics are lower. I, I, I am not surprised about that because I get it. The Last Jedi was, it went a different way. It was challenging. It did the kind of things that appealed to a lot of critics. Yes. This time... We're back to J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. That's not his style. No. This seems much more created by a fan for fans. Right. But since in the last, I don't know how many years it's been, 10, something like that, I think there's been a real change in fandom overall. You know, it's funny. I wouldn't even say it was probably 10 years. But, uh, I mean, certainly I've noticed, well, since The Last Jedi came out, uh, that fans get together and announce their entitlement and mm-hmm. say, this shouldn't be part of the canon. Here's right. a petition. Right. Here's a petition, Game, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. You right. have to rewrite the last season. You know, it's a, it's a lot of things like that. And and on the one hand, you know, I'm a massive fan of, of you know, of different things. I mean, and I understand the kind of passion that you have for the things that you love like that. But to, to feel entitled to tell the people who created this work that what you think should happen is more valuable than what they think should happen with their characters and their storylines, that I don't understand. Because there just seems to be this coordinated effort to be the first with a hot take. And that's not just about movies. We see it in sports. We see it everywhere. Everybody's got to have their hot take and dig through the Internet to find out a spoiler so they can be the first to say it sucks. I guess that's human nature in the age of the Internet. That's what it's brought, one of the, one of the primal instincts... That it's brought out on us, I think. Right, but I also think that there are probably a lot of people who, you know, people are so, their whole lives, you know, I mean, I'd say probably 50% of people go see this movie, they were born long after the first trilogy came out. (laughs) So Thanks a lot! (laughs) But what I mean is, their whole lives, this has been something that they have loved their entire lives. Well, me too! 
I'm just saying that I don't think it's necessarily entirely just a hot take or somebody looking to be contrary. They wanted something to happen, and Mm. it's not what they got, and it makes them mad, which I understand. I'm glad you brought that up because one thing, I've been kind of looking over, skimming, looking for some some takes, not only from critics but also from people uh, on Facebook and whatever, and I I understand that. Mm -hmm. And that's probably my question is, what do you want? What, in this movie specifically, didn't you get that you wanted? And we should say right off the top, well, we've gone a few minutes here, we're not going to spoil anything no. at all in this first review. And we're going to get through all of our movies as usual. But then at the very end, if you want to wait through about 10 seconds of silence, we're going to come back on and talk about it and give spoilers and talk about it for everybody who has seen it. And we're actually going to bring in one of our other writers at MadWolf.com, Brandon Thomas, who went with us to see the movie. And he doesn't like it as much as we do. And we respect his opinion. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about, get a little back and forth. So, But for right now, we're not going to spoil anything. But uh, as most people know, J.J. Abrams is back with this one. And it's fun. That's what, at the core of these, Star Wars is to me. And- well, also, I think that there's a lot to say for the film. What I liked the best about it is that, man, it moves. You it know, does. It doesn't have any, you know, long, slow, ponderous moments. It just gets up and moves the whole time, which I loved. And it's funny, that's one of the reasons why I like the second Lord of the Rings film the best. It's because... From the time it starts to the time it ends, you are moving forward, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, I thought the set pieces were great. I thought that, um, you know, unlike a lot of people, my favorite character from this trilogy is Kylo Ren. He's a great character. Partly because I love Adam Driver. I mm-hmm. think he's incredibly talented. He and is. I think that that the arc of Kylo Ren, he starts off as sort of a temper tantrum throwing brat. You <laughs> emo, know, emo, e- emo Kylo, Kylo Ren. Ren. Um, and I thought that the the arc itself was uh, was really well done and really really well articulated by Adam Driver, mm-hmm. and I liked how that resolved itself. And of course, we love Ray. I know you love Ray. Yeah, and let's go back to the first one, the first of this of this trilogy, The Force Awakens. We all enjoyed it. I know you enjoyed it, but we all pretty much acknowledge now that J.J. Abrams then was basically selling. The first Star Wars back to us. Yeah. Um, but well, the first trilogy. I mean, he was, yeah. he was you know, but crossing things and bringing things back up, not just by bringing the characters back, but also by by crisscrossing their story arcs yeah. and, and sort of, you it know, quite they familiar. evolve yeah. a little bit. But yeah, at the same time, you're seeing a lot of the same scenes. And I thought at the time, after so many years, that was brilliant. I really do. And then I also liked what Ryan Johnson did. Loved. Came in and took a completely different, as he has said in interviews, he likes movies that challenge him, yeah. and that's the, the approach he was taking. I liked that. I know a lot of people didn't. And even I read a review this uh, or an interview this week where J.J. Abrams pretty much admitted at first he wasn't wild about that, but now he saw that he thinks the pendulum swung so far in that direction, it helped him bring it back this way. Mm. Um, and that's, to me, that's how this movie felt. It didn't feel like I read reviews and read people say, well, this is just a kick in the nuts to Ryan Johnson. I didn't feel that no. way. I didn't feel that way. I thought that it took what he did and built on it, which I, in, in, in ways that I thought made sense, felt organic to me, didn't feel like you were course correcting. Even in some of the instances where I've seen it, specifics brought up, which we won't get into right now, oh, he's just telling Ryan Johnson that he was wrong. I don't think so. I didn't feel that at all. You're right. It got up. It moved. It had adventures. It had great-looking set pieces, especially the uh, the lightsaber. And speaking of lightsabers, as I said on TV this morning, can't we just all agree that the lightsaber is the coolest? Even if, even if you don't like this movie or... 
The lightsaber is great. It is great. A double lightsaber, which we see again in this movie. A single lightsaber, I don't care. Lightsabers are fantastic. Yes. So it's got great lightsaber fights, some great uh, space fights, some great cameos. I, I think, and I haven't had this confirmed, I think John Williams, the composer, has a cameo nice. in this. I think he's the bartender. Okay. And there's a very familiar face. One of the pilots from the very first Star Wars, A New Hope, is back for, he gets a shot, I think. And some old friends, you probably know Lando is back, things like that. So there's a lot of service to the entire franchise. And at the same time, there are adventures that I think get your pulse going Mm. and an arc, two great arcs, Mm -hmm. because if we've been paying attention, look, we know where this is leading, right? We know it's leading toward a collision between Kylo Ren and Rey. Between the the light and the dark. Yes, of course that's where it's going. And how do they get there, and what kind of confrontation, what kind of climax do they have? Again, I don't know how many times I can say it. I found it very satisfying, and they had a big job. Think about that. They get all this done in two and a half hours to wrap up this entire saga after they had to change direction when Carrie Fisher died. Right, because, of course, you know, the, the, the first of this trilogy was kind of Luke's, or Han Solo's episode. Yeah. The second second was Luke's episode, and this was supposed to be Leia's episode. And, of course, unfortunately, it couldn't be. Not really, although she's quite a presence in the film. She and is. I like the way that they handled it. Again, we're not going to give anything away if you haven't seen it, except to say that, yeah, I mean, they had a lot of restructuring to do when, obviously, she, well, she's no longer around to be a part of the movie. And I will say I was surprised because when I heard, well, they're going to use lost footage or, or unused footage. I yeah. thought, okay, well, it might maybe a minute or two. There's more than I expected. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty seamless. Yeah, I thought so, too. Uh, And didn't seem like, well, we have to work this in somehow. No, I thought, I thought it flowed pretty well. And sure, there are some characters that maybe you'd like to see used a little bit more. And there are a couple of instances of maybe dangling threads. I know we have one in particular that we've mentioned that we'll, we'll hold off for now that we thought, well, what does that mean? And why was that there? And so there are a couple of those. We're not saying this is great, but lots of fun, very satisfying for Star Wars fans. So, again, we're going to talk to Brandon, one of our other writers, at the end of this entire podcast and get a little bit more specific because, uh, as we said, he's not as big a fan of this as we are. So we want to get into specifics of just what he didn't find that he was looking for. So that is coming up. But for now, yes, we recommend The Rise of Skywalker. Why do I keep saying it like Skywalker? But I will. <laughs> hey, there's another movie that's got the internet a buzz. Have you heard of it? A tribe of cats called the Jellicles must decide yearly which one will ascend to the heavy side lair and come back to a new Jellicle life. It's cats. So I knew very basically nothing <laughs> about cats before I went into this film because as we've discussed before, I don't care for musicals. Right. I don't uh, I don't have a, a great deal of opportunity to see um, theater unless our friend Cat is in it. I probably haven't seen it. So I didn't know really anything much about this going into it. And here's the thing. 
if you don't know the first thing about this going into it, this is a horror film. <laughs> right up to the very <laughs> end of it, right? We're like, it's like they're all they're all um, lobbying to be the one that gets sent away to where? <laughs> well, to their death. If you've ever seen a horror movie, it's all a big prize to just go get slaughtered someplace and probably get eaten by the rest of the cats. I mean, everything about this movie struck me as a horror film that just hasn't been made yet. This is why I was sad you didn't actually get to write the review. It was screening the same time as Star Wars, yep. the new Star Wars, which we had to go out of town and drive an hour and a half to see the, the press screening. So we missed it. We had one of our other writers, Christy, Christy Robb. Robb. She wrote it up, and she didn't love it, but she was a lot more generous to it than you would have been, oh I'll my tell God. you that, or that I would have been. Right, because we were... Uh, we were not very far into the movie, and I just kept thinking, <laughs> I cannot leave. Like yeah. I just kept like, you, you're not allowed to leave. It is your job to watch this movie to the end. But as I said this morning, I, you know, by about 45 minutes in, I think I lost the will to live. Here's the thing. I know you are not a fan of musicals. I am. Right. Seen many of them. Enjoy. You've seen this one. I've seen this one more than once. And that's the first thing about the movie. It reminded me of the weakness of the source material. Yeah. Now, I know Cats was a blockbuster blockbuster musical mm -hmm. on stage. Mm -hmm. It was. I don't understand why. That's not to say if you loved it, you're wrong. I mean, everybody loves what they love. To me, there's nothing there. The, mu the music, except for memory, the songs are not memorable. <laughs> and the story, there's really not a story. It's just you're continually introduced to new cats yeah. through these songs and uh, with the hope that they will get picked to, uh, yeah, go to their death. <laughs> and we were talking uh, last night. I actually thought to myself, well, you know what? It's similar in structure then to another very famous musical, A Chorus Line. Right. Because in A Chorus Line, you just meet members of The Chorus Line who are trying out and want to be picked for a job. But it's it's so, so much more well done. First of all, the music is so much more memorable. And it still has more emotions as you learn about these people in the chorus line's life. Here, it's just the different kind of cats they are. One is magical, whatever. And then when you see it played out on the stage, there's a, there's a lot of weaknesses. First of all, yes, the, the source material. And second of all, how it's handled on film. The director is Tom Hooper, which gave me a little bit of hope beforehand yeah, because of what he did to Les Mis. Yeah. Made it a, a really great transition to film. But here, one of the biggest weaknesses, yes, is, of course, how they look. Everybody who has seen the trailer, oh, my Lord, that's startling. Yeah. Uh, and it is. And when you see it close up, it's even more startling. And the thing that got me is in the movie then, when, when he pulls back and you see a wide shot that sort of looks like you're, walking, you're, you're watching it on stage, that, then I thought, that's where it works the best. And the thing is, I think that's why probably it did work better on the stage because you're not close up looking at cat people, at humans dressed yes. like cats. From a distance, you're watching figures that move like cats do. It's definitely different than a close up of Rebel Wilson yeah. with cat hair. It, it's it's a, it's disturbing. Again, it's a horror movie. And that's the thing. It's not even people dressed like cats. It's something out of the island of Dr. Yeah, Moreau. Yeah, exactly. It's a CGI combination of cats and people yeah. that makes it so weird. And when you're back on that wide shot, like on the stage, you have the opportunity to connect everything through choreography and dancing mm -hmm. and make it be a little bit more as a whole. But man, it just looks like a train wreck yeah, it does. as it goes through this thing. And everybody's waiting, as we were talking this morning on TV, on Good Day Columbus, Phil was talking about, he's also seen it on yeah. the stage and thought, okay, we're just waiting for memory. We're waiting for memory. And then after that, before that, there's not much here. But as you pointed out, even that 
comes up yeah. short. Because I think, you know, for because that is exactly how I just kept saying to myself, Jennifer Hudson is going to sing Memory and it's going to make this all worthwhile. I just, and maybe my hopes were too high because I was really loathing every minute going by. And then, <laughs> and it's it's not just that it was a letdown. She's a, she's a brilliant and amazing singer. It's that the, it's just not very well handled. The music comes they, up and drowns her out in the crescendo of the song. They cut out the emotion of it. It reminded me of that pivotal moment with uh, Dumbo's mom yep. in the latest edition of Dumbo. Yeah. They cut the knees out yeah. of the emotion of that scene. Same here. There's just so many weird things about it. You mentioned Rebel Wilson. She's a cat, but she's wearing a cat suit. Whose skin is that? Yeah. Uh, some of the cats have shoes. Some don't. And they keep telling us what the Jellicle cats are so special. Why? We don't know why they are. The whole thing is just so weird. And I will say... Taylor Swift's song, I think, is one of the highlights. It's kind of fun. And here's, uh, and I say this with sadness in my heart, I think Idris Elba might be the worst thing about it. <laughs> and he's easily, well, Judy Dench uh, and Ian McKellen. I mean, there is some real, real acting talent mean, in this movie. You, you weren't moved by Ian McKellen licking milk out of a bowl? You know, it, it was no more or less weird than anything else, but it yeah. just... So with this one, basically what we're saying is with this one, what you've heard is correct. Yes. It, it is just a mess. But we are waiting, and maybe one of you is the Internet hero that we need to mash this movie up with Gaspar Noe's climax. Because there were three different times in this movie where I leaned over to you and said, you know what this movie reminds me of? It reminds me of the film Climax. And then... <laughs> and then and 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 then uh, and I think it's true that in either case, if you just listen to that soundtrack for 24 hours, you will descend into madness. <laughs> so we're just saying, if you have those mashup skills, we are here for you. Does this have a a life as a cult favorite, yes. a la Showgirls? Yes, I think so. I could yeah. see that. Mm -hmm. I could see that. But for right or now, or the room. <laughs> yeah, but for and also it made me think. Not too long into it, come on, you guys, they knew that. They had, they had to, to know this they when they were filming it, when they were watching it. They had to know mm -hmm. and just had to get it out because they spent so much money you on it. You know what? And the other thing is that I feel like uh, even the when they would pull back and give you a, a big group choreographed number, even those were not impressive. There was the one where, like, the magic cat kind of flies through the air and oh, it looked horrible. That's the other thing. CGI is awful. Yeah, that's the other thing, the cat people hybrid thing is not the only aspect that looks terrible. You mentioned that, flying through the air. There was a few uh, moments where I thought it looked like their feet weren't really touching the ground, yeah. like one of those that was superimposed in there. there it just doesn't look good all no, the way doesn't. around. It doesn't. And it doesn't sound good, and it's, it's not good. But that's not the only film competing with Star Wars this weekend. A group of women decide to take on Fox News head Roger Ailes and the toxic atmosphere he presided over at the network. It's called Bombshell. Ask yourself what would scare my grandmother or piss off my grandfather. And that's a Fox story. Oh, it makes so much sense. Women are everywhere. We're letting them play golf and tennis now. HR's on the phone because you called me a skirt. Yeah, it's, yeah. I gotta read that manual again. <laughs> the attitude off camera was even worse. You're a man-hater. Learn to get along with the boys. You're sexy, but you're too much work. I have a whole list. Will other women come forward? Nobody stops watching because of a conflict. They stop watching when there isn't one. I want to convince you that I belong on air, Mr. Ailes. I think I'd be freaking phenomenal on your network. I could pluck you out and move you to the front of the line. But I need to know that you're loyal. I need you to find a way to prove it. I'm the bad guy. 
Someone has to speak up. Someone has to get mad. Fox News star Gretchen Carlson dropped a major bombshell today. What is she doing? This could kill Fox News. Ready to go to war? Oh, yeah. Tell you what, Tom Hooper could learn something from the prosthetics and makeup department at Bombshell. Holy moly. You've probably seen the trailer and just Charlize Theron alone, how closely she resembles Megyn Kelly. And the first time I saw the trailer, I'm like, what is it? What did they do? What? It's so eerie. Yeah, in, a, in a good way, not a cat's way. Right, but it's it's imperceptible, and I, that's what's so amazing. Is it because you know they do resemble each other enough that she could clearly play her? But there's there's prosthetic and makeup yes. to make her look really just like her. The Roger Ailes makeup is crazy, yes. weirdly good. I mean, there are so many people in this entire film where you're like, you forget for a second that it isn't. The, the person, the real-life person that they're playing, those, except for Geraldo Rivera. That one was bad. And Rudy Giuliani, that wasn't very good yeah, either. But those two especially, those two are, it's it's amazing. It is. And Charlize Theron adjusts her voice. Oh, yeah, and her which, posture. And her posture, yeah. which is just It's uncanny. Great. It really is. Um, and so, so she plays Megyn Kelly, and uh, Nicole Kidman plays Gretchen Carlson, yep. who actually filed the sexual harassment lawsuit mm-hmm. that started this whole thing. And then you've got Margot Robbie, and she plays, she's a composite character who represents a lot of different possible people, which I think is a smart move. And we talked about this last week with Clint Eastwood, something he should have done to that reporter character in in Richard Jewell. Much better way to handle it, especially some of the things that happen with her character. Yeah, I really like the way that it's structured in that sense, because we get a narrative that has the freedom to be fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, and they are the sort of point-of-view characters that take you through what's going on. And what that does is frees up the the real-life people, right? So Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson, Carlson, they don't have to, because they don't have to be the primal focal point, the movie doesn't have to uh, be a slave to the facts. It can just, it can represent, this is what, and that's the thing, I'm not saying that it it lets him be sort of loose and wild with, with the truth. What it does is allows the film to represent in, in a much larger way what a toxic workplace looks like mm-hmm. and the reasons, male and female, yes. the reasons that it can go on for so long, where for the outside you're like, an outsider, you're thinking, how is it possible that nobody put us up to this before now? But they really entrench you yeah. within the network. The shades of gray. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And the director is Jay Roach, and he takes... It'll remind you in its treatment of this subject. It'll remind you of The Big Short, maybe Vice, something good like reason. that. Good reason. Yeah, good well, reason. Well, it's the same writer as The Big Short. It's and, the same screenwriter. Yes, well, that, that's a very good reason. And it uses some humor. It breaks the fourth wall yep. on occasion to give you a little bit of that, can you believe this and yeah. what's going on? And, and looking at the camera and going, you know, hey, we're just talking here. Yeah. You know, this is what it was like. And, well, we're not going to lie. We're not fans of Fox News. Oh, my God, at all. no. So we come to this and... We're not fans of Megyn Kelly. No. And some of the things she said. That doesn't mean that she should be subject to any kind of sexual harassment. She should not. No, absolutely not. But we were worried that is this going to make us, try to make us think of her as a hero? And it doesn't. Not that it runs her down either. It presents, it right. attempts to present a very realistic portrait. And one of the reasons that the casting is so great is not just because of the looks. It's because Shirley Saren is incredibly oh talented. Oh my God, yeah. And she does a great... Th- everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yes, all three of them. Two Oscar winners and one uh, perennial nominee. Yeah. And, uh, but she does a great job of creating a human being, mm-hmm. somebody who has plenty of, of very out and proud faults, but mm-hmm. also, again, who, who is struggling with 
I mean, I really think the way that they presented her, I was. I was worried that it was going to make a hero out of Megyn Kelly, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. It definitely, she's nothing but shades of gray. Yeah, and it reminds you that is the case for many, many famous people when you find things happen to them. Like, Bill Cosby's shows can still be funny, and he can still be a horrible person. Right. You, people are, are like that sometimes, yes. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I'm not equating her with Bill Cosby. I'm just saying... You can still feel for her and mm-hmm. say that she shouldn't or any of her colleagues should never had to put up with this and still say, I don't like what she's saying about uh, Santa Claus exactly. or about uh, Jesus or anything like that. In those uh, aspects, I think you're right. I like the way it was treated. And in, in an interesting way, you bring up Geraldo Rivera, who's only in this movie. His character is only in it for, what, 30 seconds yeah. or whatever. But as good as that makeup is with the principles, on some of those side characters, I found it a little bit distracting. You mentioned Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Or, at the very end, uh, Malcolm McDowell, who plays Rupert Murdoch, who comes in at the end, and they go out of a, out of their way to make his face yes. more craggly, as Rupert Murdoch's is. I get that, but for the, some of those outlier characters, it got a little bit distracting uh, for me, just a little bit. But the work that they did, simply amazing, especially with the principals. I need to talk about Kate McKinnon. Oh, Kate, how do we get this far and not mention her? Because Because you brought up a very good point in your written review about how they use not only her, but her character. Yes. Well, first of all, Rudy Giuliani naturally always makes me think of Kate McKinnon because maybe it's wrong, (laughs) but I kept thinking, couldn't we have had her play him as well? Oh my God, it'd be great. But she plays a character who's a producer on Bill O'Reilly's show, and she takes Kayla, which is Margot Robbie's character, kind of under her wing because Kayla is just in over her head and they become good friends and they have uh, uh, an interesting relationship and the sort of mentor-mentee pairing allows the film to explain things without while it seems very organic mm-hmm. and, and Kate McKinnon is a phenomenal talent and I think a lot of people can overlook that because she's so funny but she's a tremendous talent and so she can deliver things that help us understand what's happening in a way that feels very organic. Yeah, because most any time a story has a newbie character, a newbie to a situation. People are going to explain things to her, and they're also explaining it to us. Right. It's and it's a you know it's a tired vehicle sometimes, but it works better than a lot of things do. Custlers did it well yes, this year. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing is that Kate McKinnon's character is not your sort of dyed-in-the-wool Fox News supporter type, whereas most of the other characters sort of are. And so um, Kate McKinnon allows. An audience member who maybe is not a big Fox News fan. Now, let's be honest. Most of the people who go to see this movie are not going to be big Fox News fans, mm-hmm. right? So Kate McKinnon's character gives us the opportunity to see a more human side because she does. Her character does. She cares about these people because they're her colleagues, regardless of what their political stance is. But yet she's pulling for Hillary Clinton. Yes. In the, in the election. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. And since you brought up Bill O'Reilly, I will say the guy that plays him, that's another good makeup job. Yes, it is. It, they don't overdo the makeup, but man, the guy looks like it. Yeah. He really does. So we, we really enjoyed Bombshell. I'm going to be interested to see the kind of business it does right. on this weekend. I know. I know. Uh, it's just, It seems like an unusual choice to have it come out opposite yeah. Star Wars. But it, And I also want to, I like the way it treated I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, Roger Ailes came down, right? It worked in Mm -hmm. the end. But I like the way the film treated that because it would be very easy for the film to, like, go, hooray, yay, but that isn't what it does. And so that's the thing. I mean, I I, I walked away from the movie. As as I said in the review, it's like equal parts cathartic and depressing. Yeah, got you there. We liked it. Bombshell. (laughs) One more to talk about. This one in more limited release, the Austrian-blessed Franz Jagerstadter. A conscientious objector refuses to fight for the Nazis in World War II. Latest from writer-director Terence Malick, A Hidden Life. 
what's happened to our country. We're killing innocent people, raiding other countries, preying on the weak. If our leaders, if they're evil, what does one do? You have a duty to the fatherland. The church tells you so. You cannot say no to your race and your hope. You are a traitor. I can't swear loyalty to Hitler. I can't. Do you think your defiance will change the course of things? If God gives us free will, we're responsible for what we do, what we fail to do. We have to stand up to evil. Terence Malick, if you don't know, a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, he's a he's a thinker. Yes. He is a big thinker, and he has done some brilliant work on screen. He's also done some 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 uneven work. And The Tree of Life, from just a few years ago, is one of our favorite films of the decade. Mm-hmm. Here, he brings a very similar treatment to a true story, Conscientious Objector in World War II. And I think the approach doesn't quite suit the material as well. Yeah, I agree with you. Although... In true Malick fashion, the the movie is breathtaking oh, visually. Oh my lord, it looks it's, fantastic! God, it's gorgeous. Especially when they're over there before Franz has to uh, get con- get confronted with the war. When they're just in their their farm village. Yeah. Some of those vistas. Oh my god, landscapes. The Alps, it's oh, just gorgeous. Fantastic. It is, and you know, and, and again, it's he's got a very distinctive style, and so the film doesn't have a strong narrative flow. It has a lot of very beautiful, it creates a mood. And the whole film creates Mm -hmm. a mood. And you can feel sort of the tension build and and the ugliness build and the way that things are are filmed and the way things look. But an, an awful lot of it is a beautiful scene with no dialogue and you hear voiceover Mm -hmm. of of thoughts and musings. So it can be a little bit frustrating in two ways. One, it is three full hours long and and it doesn't need to be. And two, you don't get the facts about this person's life. And while that worked really well for Tree of Life because it was semi-autobiographical, this isn't. This is the the life of of, of an individual human being. And I feel like it required a little bit more structure. Yeah, it works best. This movie works best when it is more concrete. And it definitely has those moments that really hit home um, when he is really being forced to make a choice. And, and basically, he's what he refuses to do is swear an oath to Hitler. Because even if he's given a non-combat role, he still has to swear an oath, which right. a, a lot of people, including his local church elders, kind of think... Well, you know, just go along with this, and if you maybe you could work as a medic or something right. like that. But he still has to swear the oath, which he will not do. And there are some very effective uh, sequences, especially one where he's talking to an artist inside a church, and the artist mainly paints Christ. And their conversation, I loved it. The, the, oh, the yeah. dialogue is brief, but it's concise and really drives home a point. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that this movie does better than any I've seen is to point out that um, heroic acts need not have any, you don't need to have any desire to impact anything outside yourself. And that's one of the arguments that he gets. Would you think this is going to change anything? Or, you know, just do what you believe is right Right. quietly, not worrying. And then the other thing I think it does really well is it points out that cowardice is really comforting to the people around you, and courage is really challenging to the people around you. And that is almost never the way those things are depicted in film. Right. And he has asked that many times. What do you think? Do you think you're going to change the outcome with this act? But that's not the point. The point is he's not letting this situation change him. Right. It's a point well made. And it's also 
and Malik uses it to be vital to what's going on today. You know, he gets pressure from those around him who are really taking on the hateful rhetoric. And even he's looking for for answers, looking for help from his church, and all he gets are rationalizations. Yeah. And that's very, I'm not going to say ripped from the headlines, but damn near. Right. And uh, Malik, you, you get that very clearly without it beating you over the head no, about yeah. it. So there are very, very effective moments in this film. Just don't think the approach, is, quote unquote, the tree of life approach, suits this no. quite so much. Agreed. But uh, we still recommend it, A Hidden Life. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Good group this week as well. It's led by Ad Astra. One that's sort of getting forgotten about, I think, this award season. Yeah, but it was I think, very good. I think we thought people would remember it, and particularly uh, Brad Pitt's role. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. It's not getting a lot of love right now. But not, it's certainly something that if you missed while it was out, you should grab now. Yeah, I think it's maybe not quite going to make our top 25 of the year, but just if it does, it, it'll be just outside. Really liked it. The Downton Abbey. You know, I have to say it that way. I know that you do. Yeah, that's... You didn't like it. I did not, but that doesn't really matter, because like Cats, I am not the target audience for right. the Downton Abbey film. And again, Christy Robb, or mm-hmm. Uniforce, she is. That's the reason we asked her to do it, because she had rewatched every episode of every season and in re- preparation to see it. And I respect that. Look, right. they know their fans. This is for you. That's right. She loved it. So if you like the TV show, I feel like this is a gift for you. <laughs> One of the animated films from this year, Abominable. Cute, fun, great to look at, not super memorable, though. Uh, we'll just mention this uh, and just say it's one of, if not the worst film of the year, Rambo Last Blood. Right, and it's out now, and that's enough okay. to be said. Where's My Roy Cohn, a documentary we talked about a few weeks ago, obviously about Roy Cohn and his effect on politics and culture and society, and it's mesmerizing. It's fascinating. Even if you think you know the impact Roy Cohn had, you probably don't. It is fascinating. And scary. Yes. And scary. If you're wondering, how did we get... In the situation that we're in, uh, Roy Cohn probably had a lot to do oh, with it. Oh, my Lord. It's so crazy. Also, Trick is out on DVD for scares uh, during Christmas season. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was disappointing. I didn't really care for any part of this movie. Fair enough. Next week, we've got some big ones coming up. A couple of definite Oscar contenders. Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Loved it. Is out that next week. And so is Adam Sandler getting some serious Oscar buzz for Uncut Gems. It's like a two-hour panic attack, it that is. movie. So great, though. Loved it. But man, what a panic attack. And a new animated. It's Tom Holland and Will Smith voicing in Spies in Disguise. So we'll talk about those next week. If you want to keep the conversation going about any of the movies this week, like Star Wars or Bombshell or Cats, uh, we always welcome that. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website is madwolf.com. Now remember, the end of this, a few seconds of silence, and then we'll be back with a spoiler-filled discussion with uh, Brandon Thomas, one of our other writers, about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So if you've already seen the movie, hang in for that. Otherwise, until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for hanging around. This is the spoiler-filled discussion of The Rise of Skywalker. Hope and George are back. And we've got Brandon Thomas with us. Brandon, welcome. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Brandon's also one of our writers at MadWolf.com, and he went with us to the screening, the press screening over in Cincinnati a few days ago. So we wanted to bring you on to get some idea about what people are not digging about the movie. And I, I will say, I know you didn't hate it, but I don't but think— But you were disappointed. You were disappointed, right? I, I was. You know, it was it was interesting. My The last two movies, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, um, I had a pretty immediate reaction uh, to those walking out, and a, a pretty immediate um, positive reaction walking out of those those two movies. Just really, I keep saying I was buzzing as I as I left the theater after seeing those two, and that that wasn't quite the case with uh, with Rise of Skywalker. Okay, so what didn't it what didn't it do for you that you were hoping for? I I think right off the bat, um, I was really wanting them to dig a little deeper into um, the adversary between Ray and Kylo Ren. I, I feel like the addition of Palpatine to the story sort of acted as a crutch to that, and I really wanted it to be more of Ray versus Kylo Ren, um, and that be the, the main antagonism through the entire story. So when you throw Palpatine into the mix, I felt like it was a little like, okay, we need some sort of overarching villain to the story. It can't just be these two together. And I thought that was a real missed opportunity. So you don't like the fact that she turned out to be a Palpatine. You, you would like rather her lineage turned out to be just nothing? Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's probably what works less for me okay. out of everything in the movie. I, I was really kind of disappointed that, that having to sort of wrap that up. And again, Star Wars being Star Wars, having to have some sort of family aspect to it. Well, see, I, I appreciate that because it's mm -hmm. a, a very specific type of criticism. I don't particularly agree with it, but at least mm -hmm. it's much better than some of the stuff, these blanket statements that I've seen thrown out there that to me just seem like people looking for a hot take. Right, right. And, and you know, and, and I, I think there's plenty of good things to say about the movie. It's just that there are definitely a couple of things that um, more or less kind of stick in my crawl, so mm. to speak. We did. I mean, there were a couple things that that bothered me. The, uh, the I thought Lando Calrissian was kind of wedged in, uh -huh. um, and um, and then at the end, there, so there was. I really liked the bit where there's another group of former stormtroopers, mm -hmm. and they join the fray. And they, she talks about how they uh, they mutinied. They just they just wouldn't shoot. They just you know lay down their weapons. I thought that was a, a very brief but interesting backstory. And I thought that she made for a fine fighter. But then at the end of the film, I, it it seemed very forced that then she and Lando were talking about her backstory. And I thought that was unnecessary. I agree with you there. That seemed like what are you trying to set yeah. up some future movie or something? Yeah, I didn't care for that. I mean, it's a, it's a very minor point. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree to some extent about Lando, but I loved seeing him. And, right. I, and I do know that this movie was much more about fan service. I get that. Yeah. Um, and, but I, and I also get the fact that the second or the last one, The Last Jedi, was much more challenging. But yeah. I, I, I liked both approaches. I liked where Ryan Johnson took it, but then J.J. Abrams coming back in to wrap up this entire behemoth. Um, <laughs> I thought you, you almost had to do some fan service. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, <clears throat> what happens with, with this one, I, I, I feel like the, the Force Awakens really, I mean, it, was, it had a lot of fan service. Yes, it did. As well. um, but I feel like the character really counterbalanced a lot of that fan service where you're like, okay, you know, this is really following along the, along the lines of the plot of A New Hope. But that's okay because we did, had yeah. really great characters that they were introducing, which I think is a real strength to Abrams when it comes to introducing characters and casting. But I, 
it was weird. It felt like that didn't quite happen with the rise of Skywalker. And I don't know if that was, you know, losing uh, Lawrence Kasdan from the writing group and, and getting Chris Terrio. Uh, so I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, but I, I feel like the fan service was just as much as with the, the Force Awakens. And that's not really where my criticisms come from. I'm like, fan service is fine. I mean, yeah. This is a 40-year-old franchise. You're going to have that. There were things I liked. So so uh, my my favorite character in this saga is Kylo Ren. Um, and but that's I, I, I always do that. I always gravitate toward the villain. My, my, my favorite character in the entire saga is Darth Vader. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I always like villains. and I like a really well articulated villain. It's always my favorite character. And what I really liked about Kylo Ren is the way he evolved from one film to the next, because mm-hmm. in the first one, he was like a spoiled temper tantrum throwing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. And then uh, and then he, you know, matured a bit in the second one. And then in the third one, I thought I think that. His evolution was um, was I thought really wonderful. Partly, of course, because Adam Driver is a spectacular actor, like an amazing talent. But I also felt like the the balance between his brooding darkness and and uh, Daisy Ridley's just sort of effortless brightness uh, really worked out really well. And mm-hmm. I like her very much in that role. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great character. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, you know the. I don't know what it is about Ridley. She, she does. She has this sort of wholesomeness that, that is to her that doesn't feel forced. It just feels very, very, there's a genuineness yeah. I think, that comes out in her performance that feels real, that, you know, that's sort of the way that that, that, came, that came out in Mark Hamill in the original trilogy. This is just, you know, this is a very, you know, this is a hero that you can get behind. You know, they're, they're a good person. You know, they, they do have flaws, but it's not something that you feel like you're, you're questioning throughout the course of either, you know, any of these movies. How did you feel about the way they incorporated the the Carrie Fisher footage? You know, um, it was, I think, going into it and knowing as much about it, like the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, I think I was looking for the scenes a little bit more than maybe the average person was. But I honestly, I thought it worked fairly well, mm-hmm. um, just especially with the interactions of the other actors. I mean, there were times you could feel like maybe the character was CG'd into a scene, but the interactions with, say, like Billy Lord or Daisy Ridley or even Greg Grunberg um, yeah. a little later in the movie, I thought they worked really well. I did, too. And I also thought the maybe one or two shots, not very many, mm-hmm. of the de-aging faces that they brought up again uh, didn't use it very much. But when they did, I thought it was pretty nice. It, yeah. it worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely. And, you know, it brings a bittersweetness, and that's part of the the emotionality of it. We're clearly we're not only saying goodbye to this franchise, but we had to say goodbye to her mm-hmm. uh, character mm-hmm. and the uh, and the actress, of course. Which, as we already talked about, made the writers here do a complete 180 because yeah. right, this was supposed to be Princess Leia's film. Right, right, and it's and you know and that's something you know as a big fan of of these movies, I'm trying to be very cognizant of is you know looking at the movie for what it is, not what I want it to be. So, you know, making sure that I take a step back and say, okay, yes. this is actually what's on the screen, and I have to judge it on what it is, not what I thought it should have been or what it could have been. That's exactly right, and that's the smart way to do it, because mm-hmm. I, I saw somebody earlier posted, it feels like Game of Thrones all over again, and I thought, well, yeah, it does, and maybe it's, maybe <laughs> I'm not thinking at the same level that you are yeah. um, in being mad about uh, how it turned out, but that's that's the best way, because nobody says you have to like it. 
You, sure. You're, but yeah, that's very, very well well stated. Take yourself out of it. Yeah, I think. I mean, to me, the one of the things that was so compelling about uh, the Last Jedi uh, was that it was, and one of the reasons I think it pissed so many people off at the time was that it was saying, "Fond farewell. Yeah. You have to burn it down and build it up." And yep. I think this one said, or maybe not burn it down. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and yeah. and to me, I mean, I, I think, um, I did, I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was completely entertaining from beginning to yes. end. I think it would have been a better film if we could have continued along the trajectory of not bringing back up everything, not rehashing other things, actually going a new path. But uh, again, I mean, that's all sort of theoretical. I enjoyed this movie. But that, yeah. that also brings me back to the point of you talking about a better film. I think a lot of people right now are looking on all the films with a little bit of rose-colored nostalgia, yeah, um, which is natural, mm -hmm. it, especially when this has been such a big part of so many people's lives. You know? Yeah, it's funny because we talked with Darth Vader earlier today. So we were on, we were on TV. <laughs> there were some people dressed as the Star, some Star Wars characters, yeah, yeah. and we were chatting before our segment, and the Darth Vader was saying that he just doesn't think these characters uh, are as good. They just haven't had the cultural impact as the others. And I thought, well, that's because the other ones have had 40 additional years to make an impact. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I've argued along the way, just sort of springboard off of what Hope said earlier. I think I think Kylo Ren is, is miles, you know, miles and above better as a villain than Darth Vader was. Darth Vader might be more iconic at this point, again, because of his 40 years. But I think... As far as complexity goes and the way the character was written and even acted, I, I mean, Kylo Ren is spectacular. Mm -hmm. He is. He is. And, of course, you'll then be end up, eventually, if you keep that conversation going, you'll end up comparing Hayden Christensen to Adam Driver, and that's not a comparison that you <laughs> no, want to make. That's not fair. <laughs> that's yeah, not that's fair. Very not fair. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the brief return of Han Solo? I thought that was, I really thought that was fantastic. I, I did, too. And I like even to how many of the lines mirrored their yes, confrontation yes. in the Force Awakens. I thought that was fantastic. I thought because one of the big Christian, one of the big criticisms of Hayden Christensen and the turn of Anakin Skywalker in the prequels is that it happened so suddenly and it never felt real. Yes. I felt Kylo Ren's he had been struggling with this pull between the light and the dark mm -hmm. for three movies. So I I did I bought this and I and I bought you know at that moment. That he can feel his mother dying and he can see his father again, that that would be enough to sort of push him over the edge and sort of turn his back on the dark side. So I thought that scene was probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. I agree. And and it didn't feel wedged in having Harrison Ford come back for this because um, because it didn't it didn't feel like fan service. It felt like something that that Kylo Ren's character would naturally go through. Right. And it didn't yeah. feel like one of those, uh, you know, th there's a glowing aura because he's a Jedi. <laughs> and, and Kylo Ren even said that. He's like, I don't really see. You're not really here. You're yeah. a memory. And he's like, but I'm your memory. And right. so I really like the way it was treated. And, and like you said, mm -hmm. Brandon, I think it was a, a really powerful and, and necessary moment right. in that film. And I don't know about you. I had no idea that was coming. I didn't, I, I didn't know Harrison didn't Ford was back in this. So so mm -hmm. that added a little bit more for me. I'm like, oh, and then you're right. It did make perfect sense. It was yeah. much more of a believable motivation for yeah. his character's turn yeah. than mm -hmm. young Darth Vader's yeah. was. Much, much more. So and, you it, know, I'm it, glad. I'm glad Hope brought that up that he wasn't a Force ghost. I think that that really does add a lot more complexity and weight to that scene. You know, especially when you look at a little bit later the return of uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, and this is a small, I always like Chewbacca. I think I 
he's a lot like me. I like Chewbacca. <laughs> um, <laughs> he reminds me of me. But I, I liked that sort of in the background when they all get back and find out what happened to Leia. You know, it's not foregrounded. They don't really mm-hmm. beat you about the head with it. But Chewbacca is so unhappy yeah. because oh, yeah. Chewbacca has 40 years of history with this right. person. Everybody mm-hmm. else doesn't. They may admire yeah. her, but he's her, you know, she was his one of his best friends for 40 years. And mm-hmm. I just loved that he got that moment. Well, there's a lot of history just in that when he collapses his knees yeah. and just howls. I mean, you can just you can feel again forty years of history yeah. and of of a relationship just sort of coming through in that grief. And as long as we're comparing, uh, you know, I have been called the White Billy D. Williams. You have been <laughs> <laughs> because George likes Colt Forty Five. That's right. <laughs> smooth. That's right. It's smooth. So I know you've you've uh, commented that you've already seen it again. Are you planning to see it more often? I might. I mean, you know, I I really enjoy the franchise. You know, I, I even saw the prequels multiple times just because I wanted to, you know, see how, you know, again, initial um, initial feelings can change. You know, um, you're always going to have uh, anticipation and uh, not knowing what you're going to get when you go to it. And, and I did enjoy it a lot more um, seeing it again, especially the um, <clears throat> sort of the, the camaraderie amongst those core group of actors. I right. think the first, I think the first half of the movie, it's very busy when it comes to plot and exposition, but I think being able to see Oscar Isaac and John Boyega and Daisy Ridley and even Anthony Daniels and C-3PO bounce off one another uh-huh. was really, really nice. And I think that's where the movie really sets itself apart from the others is just giving those characters a, a chance to really interact with one another and bounce off one another. Yeah, I enjoyed that, too. I thought that was very fun. All right, good stuff. Brandon, we appreciate it, and may the force be with you. (laughs) All right, and with you, too, sir.